Across the sands of time, through the echoes of prophets and apostles, emerges a tapestry of tales and truths. Bridging ancient wisdom with modern wonder, this is your invitation to the sacred journey of Stories for Skeptics. Hello fellow travelers, my name is Cleet, and I'm your guide on this expedition of faith. Every story, every parable, every verse, they aren't just words. They're doorways to deeper understanding, landmarks of human history, and beacons of deeper spiritual enlightenment. So whether you're a skeptic, a believer, or somewhere in between, let's journey together into the heart of the Bible, uncovering its mysteries and marvels, one revelation at a time. Welcome to Stories for Skeptics. How many of us have been there? Reading a familiar Bible story we heard as kids only to be confronted with things you hadn't thought about or maybe just forgot altogether. But now, looking back, it's glaringly obvious, unsettling, disturbing. Tales of divine destruction and violence. Waves that sweep away entire civilizations. Fire from the heavens. The earth swallowing up the rebellious. How do we reconcile these images with a God who is love? Hello, fellow seekers. This week we are looking at the flood story found in Genesis 6 through 9. And our episode today is Noah's Ark, a tale of catastrophe and promise. Now, there's a whole lot to unpack here, not to mention all the craziness that happens when Noah and his family get off the ark drunkenness, nakedness, curses. But that's for another episode. So today we're just going to focus on trying to unpack the flood story itself. And in scripture, we encounter a multifaceted God, one who is compassionate, yet righteous, loving, yet just. This balance at times can confound even the most devout reader. Take, for example, the Psalms. David sings praises of God's unfailing love in one verse, then in another, pleads for his justice upon enemies. So it's a dance between mercy and justice. But really, it's the catastrophic events, the sweeping judgments where we find ourselves pausing, like the flood or the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, or the annihilation of the Canaanites. I mean, how do these stories fit with Jesus' message of love and forgiveness? N.T. Wright suggests that God's justice is a saving, healing, restorative justice, because the God to whom justice belongs is the creator God, who has yet to complete his original plan for creation, and whose justice is designed not simply to restore balance to a world out of kilter, but to bring to glorious completion and fruition the creation teeming with life and possibility that he made in the first place. And I know that when confronted with these texts, it's tempting to skip over them. But in facing them head on, we're really invited into a deeper, more complex understanding of the divine. So this is not about resolving tension, but rather deepening our engagement with it. The divine dichotomy, as challenging as it may be, beckons us to a richer, more nuanced faith. So let's chat for a second. I mean, let's get real. If you're like me, you probably hear a story like Noah's Ark and your eyebrows might raise a tad. I mean, all those animals on one boat? Come on. I can't get my kids to share a room without chaos, and Noah's out here coordinating a zoological wonder. But I mean, really, how did they do it? Was the ark as big as a cruise ship? Did the drafts have their own suite? And really, at the heart of it all is that nagging question we're sometimes afraid to voice. Why? Why would a God who loves and cares for his creation choose to flood it? Now, before we dig too deep, 
It's important to note that the Bible isn't the only ancient text that talks about a great flood. You got the Epic of Gilgamesh, an oldie but a goodie, or the Atrahasis Epic, both of which are from Mesopotamia, and both tales of cataclysmic flood. And so pulling some knowledge from theologian Pete Inns, he, he talks about that many scholars relying on geological findings believe that a great deluge in southeastern Mesopotamia along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which is around present-day Iraq, took place around 2900 BCE and was really the trigger for many of the flood stories that circulated in the ancient world, some of which were already 2,000 years old by the time King David came on the scene around 1000 BCE. And these ancient stories really were attempts to explain why this happened. And the cause was fixed in divine wrath or retribution. And I mean, that makes sense if you think about it. If a community experienced something that dramatic, they'd want to tell the story and retell it and then pass it on to the next generation. So when we read about Noah or Gilgamesh or any of these characters from ancient flood tales, maybe, just maybe, we're catching a glimpse of collective memory a world trying to make sense of nature's fury, searching for meaning amidst the chaos. And I mean, isn't that what we all do? Look for purpose in the storm? So the tale of Noah and the flood, while deeply woven into the historical tapestry of Israel, shears threads with tales spun by other ancient civilizations. And while Israel's rendition isn't the earliest of these tales, its fabric is undeniably influenced by older ones. Now, pondering if the biblical authors were privy to these ancestral stories or intentionally echoed them is a pursuit that might remain elusive. However, the resonance between the biblical narrative and these other epics, especially the sequence of creation, population boom, unexpected predicaments, and a cataclysmic flood, does stir curiosity. Might one story have been the muse for the other? So it does seem like many ancient cultures have a when-the-world-went-underwater story. I mean, what's that about? Why the repetition? It's fascinating stuff, isn't it? The biblical account of Noah offers more than just a story of survival. It presents us with deeper layers, rich with symbolism and connection to other narratives in Scripture. And I promise you, it's about to get even more intriguing. Hey there, story seekers. Just a quick pause to say we genuinely want to hear from you. Got a burning question? A topic you're itching for us to delve into? Head on over to our website and use the handy voicemail function. And if typing's more your style, shoot us a note. Your curiosities fuel this journey, and we're all ears. So thanks for tuning in, for questioning, and for being a part of this incredible community. Now back to the episode. As we continue to dive in, it's important to remember that when approaching any text, especially one as profound as the Bible, it demands our keen attention to context and intention. What's the text essence? I mean, is it striving for historical accuracy, delving into scientific realms, or expressing poetic ruminations? You see, the Bible isn't just a monolithic tome. It's more like a tapestry woven from a myriad of genres. And yet, here's a curveball. Our modern categories for these genres might not snugly fit the molds of ancient ones. An historian from antiquity pinning their chronicles would undoubtedly have different motives and methodologies compared to their modern counterparts. So we must read with an eye to their world, not just our own. And while certain books in the Bible, like Samuel and Kings, may be trying to present historic information, others, like Genesis, perhaps, are working to do something else. 
Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann argues that asking about the historicity of these old Hebrew stories is the wrong question, stating, These materials may be better understood as complex, artistic attempts to articulate the most elemental presuppositions of life and faith in Israel, attempts that understood the world in a Yahwistic way. The end result of the interpretive process is a text that provided an imaginative context for the emergence of Israel in the midst of older cultural claims, visions, and affirmations. So it could be that this story, and with Noah and the flood, may not really depict an accurate account of history, but rather the ancient Israelites' understanding of that long past event that survived in cultural memory. So reading the flood story in Genesis does not necessarily tell us what happened, but it does tell us something of what the Israelites believed about their God. So theology rather than history. And when we look at these stories from a higher vantage point, we can trace threads that seem to bind the fabric of humanity's relationship with the divine. It's like reading different chapters of a grand novel where motifs repeat and themes echo. And yes, while there are undeniable parallels between other ancient flood stories and the one we find in scripture, or the Bible, the intentions and outcomes of each story reveal distinct worldviews and theological insights. In the Mesopotamian versions, for instance, humans were noisy and bothersome, so the gods decided to flood the earth as a solution to their irritation. But if we compare that to the biblical narrative, it's humanity's moral decay, not their noise, that brings about the flood. But the real kicker is that in the biblical story, there's a God who, despite profound disappointment and heartache over human choices, still provides a means of salvation. And these distinctions are crucial. It tells us that while cultures might share events, how they interpret them, the values they attach to them, and the divine they engage with can be vastly different. And this flood story has echoes in the creation story that we discussed in last week's episode. So if you haven't watched, listened to that, go ahead and check that out. It also has some echoes in the Exodus story. And in the poetic cadence of Genesis 1, there's this divine dance as God masterfully positions a dome to keep the chaotic waters at bay, giving birth to our known cosmos, the sky and the land. Yet, as the narrative transitions, the flood story portrays a stark shift, the once protective firmament its windows are now open, and the withheld chaos returns, trying to erase the order God created. It's almost as if the flood is God pressing a reset button, an unmaking of creation only to remake it, with Noah stepping into the role of a new Adam. Now you might wonder, especially given that you know we're only six chapters in, I mean, how did things go south so quickly that a full restart was the only option? Some might even question the intensity of God's decision. But here's a thought. Instead of dissecting the whys of God's actions, what if we dig deeper into what this tale reveals about Israel's perception of God? When we contrast this like the, with the other ancient stories that we discussed where noisy humans who were merely overworked slaves angered the gods, Israel paints a different picture. Or really, it's a profound theological pivot. They paint a picture of a God deeply concerned with human morality and righteousness a deity looking for reflections of his image in us. But the tapestry of tales doesn't stop there. The flood story intertwined with, is intertwined with the Exodus narrative. Both stories underscore God's judicious might, where waters of judgment fall upon the wicked, be it the Antitavillian generation or the Egyptian pursuers. And furthermore, the vessel of salvation in both tales, the Ark, or in Hebrew, the Teva, creates a riveting link. 
it cradled Noah and his family during the flood, and also Moses is shielded in a Tavah from Pharaoh's cruel edict. This, by the way, is the only two places in the Bible where Tavah is used. So these stories aren't solitary strands. They're threads in a grand tapestry spanning Genesis and Exodus. If it were to encapsulate this profound revelation, it might go something like this. The grandeur of God, who sculpted the universe, doesn't merely remain in the ancient past of cosmic creation. He is intimately present, guiding, guarding, and recreating his people from Noah to the Israelites. The creator is also our redeemer. The biblical flood story doesn't just end with destruction. It points and pivots to covenant. God's promise to never destroy the earth again with water. This rainbow is a symbol of hope and a divine commitment to humanity, a commitment that threads through the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually finds profound depth in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we immerse ourselves in these waters of ancient tales, it becomes clear every flood story, every salvation through water account is, in essence, a search for meaning, identity, and the divine touch and the ebb and flow of human history. Now we all know that life has this way of hurling storms at us when we least expect them. Floods of doubt, waves of despair, torrents of challenges, they come and sometimes they come hard. But tucked within these ancient narratives, within the very heartbeats of characters like Noah, we find timeless truths for our modern souls. Just think about it. Every downpour in your life, Every gust of wind that tries to knock you off your feet, it has an opposite, a counterforce, an arc, a sanctuary amidst the tempest. Whether it's a loved one, a cherished memory, a song, a place of worship, or a quiet moment of prayer, there's something or someone acting as your refuge. So these tales from yesteryears, they're not just chronicles of long-gone civilizations or metaphysical musings of our ancestors. They are mirrors reflecting our own journey our own wrestlings, our own search for meaning amidst chaos. So my friends, as the, as the rain pours and the thunder roars in the chapters of your life, always remember, the darkest night can't stop the dawn from breaking. There's an arc for you, a beacon in the storm. Lean into your faith. Draw strength from these ageless stories. And know that even in the fiercest squalls, you are not alone. Hope? It's not just on the horizon. It's here, now, within you, and it's waiting to shine through. Thank you so much for joining us today. Next time on Stories for Skeptics, we're going to delve into another ancient story that's left many puzzled and many wrestling. We're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac. It's a story of faith, of doubt, and the ultimate test. What would you do if the divine asked the unthinkable? So join us next week as we untangle this narrative and perhaps in doing so untangle a bit of our own souls. Until next time, keep seeking, keep questioning, and perhaps believe. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.